the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Ruth, to support Naomi and herself, Ruth goes to gather leftover grain from the fields and meets a distant relative named Boaz. We'll pick it up in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. The title of the message is True Romance. All right, Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. We began the book of Ruth, and we saw how the book doesn't start happy. It starts with some very sad times. And we saw how Naomi returned home from her family sojourn in Moab with very little. She lost her husband, she lost her sons, but she does have her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And yet, despite all of Ruth's love for her, the loyalty that Ruth shows to her, Naomi believes that God has destroyed her life because of her failures, because of the poor decisions that she's made. At this point, she says, call me Mara, bitter, because she's hopeless. And yet, chapter 1 ends with verse 22, a beautiful phrase And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. They came home in the beginning of the harvest, the time of obtaining new resources. Things are still very rough for Naomi and Ruth, but God is about to prove to these two women that they aren't forgotten, they aren't hopeless, and they aren't destroyed. They are loved, and he's about to bless them in the most unexpected of ways. So let's pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. It tells us, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And so she went, she came, and she gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Boaz, behold, he came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Well, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, What is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab? And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, and she's continued even from the morning until now except that she tarried a little in the house. Here we are introduced to Boaz. We met Naomi and Ruth in chapter 1, and now we're introduced to the third major character in this account, Boaz. 
Boaz, it says here that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. The word there for kinsman, it just means a close friend. He is going to be Elimelech's kinsman, but here it doesn't mean that at all. It just means he was a close friend. So because men and women didn't interact much in that culture, that didn't make him Naomi's close friend. His relationship with Naomi would very likely be minimal. And so it mentions here, not that any connection they had, but rather the connection that he had with her husband, Elimelech, who's of course now dead. And now it mentions also that he was a mighty man of wealth. Now the phrase a mighty man, it means a man with high standing in the community. It was almost always used for the elite warriors in a society. So he is very likely an older man, not like 95 and that, but if you're 95, you're young. But he's probably not up there, up there. But he's probably someone that would not necessarily be out on the front lines anymore if there was fighting to be done. Uh, He's got a history. He's been well-respected in the community for that. He was also, it says here, a man of wealth, which is fascinating to me because why did Naomi's family leave the promised land? Because of famine, right? So while Elimelech, her husband, left the promised land during the famine and his family suffered, this man prospered in the famine. He's wealthy after the famine. I love what David Guzik said about this. He said, sometimes we justify wrong choices because of difficult circumstances. But God will strengthen us and he will bless us even in difficult circumstances. So Boaz is a man of high standing in Bethlehem for his deeds on the battlefield. And he's a man who is well off financially. But he wasn't just Elimelech's friend. They were also related for it mentions here that he was of the family. The word here means extended family or clan of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Now, ancient rabbis said that he was Elimelech's nephew, but the rest of the account seems to imply he's a bit more distantly related than that. For example, when we get to a period later in the book where Ruth and Boaz clearly want to get married together, the problem is that there's a closer kinsman who has the right of redemption, and so Boaz can't just marry her. So he seems to be a little bit more distantly related. So I don't think he's probably a nephew. A nephew would also make him Ruth's age. So the Bible does seem to indicate here that she's quite a bit younger than Kim. So if Boaz is Elimelech's nephew, that makes him just slightly older than Ruth, but traditionally he's thought to be almost double Ruth's age. We do get a genealogy at the end of the book, but there are gaps in that, so it's really hard to say exactly how old he is. Honestly, my best guess is that Boaz is in his mid-40s and that Ruth is in her late 20s. Well, now that we have all of the characters introduced, we can get back to the actual events. Verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, it makes a point of keeping calling her a Moabitess in this chapter. She said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of grain, ears of corn, King James says, this grain, after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And then Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. The word there to glean, it means to gather up what's left in a field after the first harvest. Israel had a welfare system in place commanded by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's just one of many passages where God commands Israel to implement this welfare system for the poor. Deuteronomy 24 verses 19 through 22 God commands Israel through Moses, when you cut down your harvest in the field and you forgot a sheaf in the field, you shall not go again to fetch it. Don't go again to go pick it up. It shall be for the stranger, for the foreigner, for the fatherless, or for the orphan, and for the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, don't go back and get it. You leave it there to take care of the poor and the disadvantaged, because that way I'll bless you for not being greedy. 
And when you beat your olive tree, the way that they would get the olives from the trees is they would whack the tree and then the olives would fall. So when you've whacked the trees is don't go over the bows again. Don't be going and making sure you get every little olive that falls from the tree. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless and for the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. When you've gotten everything, don't go back. If there's leftovers that you missed, it shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. For you shall remember that you were a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. In other words, you didn't always have it easy, Israel, when you were in Egypt. You weren't always prosperous like you are now. So now that things are good for you, remember those who are in a tough life situation and don't be greedy. So Elimelech, he would have had land of his own, but while in Moab, those lands were not being cultivated. They would have just gone wild. So the women at this point in time, now they had wild fields and they didn't have the finances to hire workers to fix that situation. Later in Ruth, we will learn that Naomi was forced to temporarily sell all those fields to survive. The hope was that those funds from the sale would last long enough until the land reverted back to them seven years later, and then they would sell it again and do that until eventually, hopefully, things improved. So that Ruth leaves here to glean the harvest fields at this point shows just how stretched their finances were already. So she's going out, and she says, I'm going to go out to glean ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find grace. If they will let me do this, if I'll find favor and they agree to let me do this, then I'll go and bring back some food. Now, you have to remember, this is the time of the judges, so people are not living by God's standards. They're probably not implementing this. So the poor were being turned down in some fields despite God's commands. So Ruth says, hey, I'm going to go out and hopefully somebody will give me permission to do this and I'll be able to bring home some food. So Ruth eventually finds some harvesters who give her permission. Verse 3, she went and she came. She gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap, the word there actually means chance occurrence. Her chance occurrence, this was not anything planned. This was nothing at all that anyone was scheming about on the earth. Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. The phrase there, light upon, means this was the first place she asked permission. The first place she asked permission just happened to be Boaz's fields. Now, I think this is important to understand when it says it was just a chance occurrence as far as we're all concerned. We know that that's not the case with the Lord. In other words, there was no spiritual feeling. It's not like Ruth was going out and all of a sudden she heard a voice going, glean in that field. Trust me, dear Ruth, it's a good one. There was none of that. You know, it's not like your ears started to tingle or anything like that. There was no word from God. Ruth experienced the very natural moving of the supernatural hand of God. And it happened simply by stepping out to do what she already knew she should be doing, by just working hard, trying to take care of her family. I love, again, what David Guzik said about this. He said, many times when we are really walking in the Spirit, we can only see the invisible hand of God by looking back. If we spend too much time trying to look for his hand ahead of us, we can make problems for ourselves. Most of my life, when I have those situations where I don't know what to do, I find that those are the rare occasions because more often than not, I've got enough that I already know what I need to do from in here on my plate every single day. I don't need to sweat all that stuff. Sometimes I'll have people and they'll say, well, you know, what are we going to do about this? I'm like, that's a problem for about three days from now. Today, I've got a wife to love. I've got kids to be a parent to. I've got a church to pastor. I've got a Bible study to prepare for. When people come in and for a meeting, whenever I've got to love them and share God's word with them and be led by the spirit and that, we'll deal with that in three days. There's no use worrying about it right now. This is what's on the plate today. 
And more often than not, I find myself, as I'm just walking with the Lord and what I know I need to do, I find myself looking back and going, oh, look at where the Lord led me. Look at how he led me every step of the way. Now, this seemingly chance occurrence is followed by a second one, because Boaz shows up while she's there to check on the harvest. Look at verse 4. And behold, and I love that because the writer, when he uses the word behold, he's like, check this out, man. You won't believe what happened next. And I imagine the writer kind of got chills as he's recording this. And I do too when I read it because God is so awesome how he works. Because nobody here in this story has a clue what God's doing yet. None of them do. As far as Boaz is concerned, he's going to check on his fields. As far as Ruth's concerned, she's just trying to put dinner on the table. And yet God is orchestrating something behind the scenes for the both of them that is wonderful. So behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. We already know he's wealthy and that he's a well-respected warrior in the community, but now we see he's a God-fearing man who has spiritually influenced those who work for him. Now, that says a lot in any time period, but it says a whole lot in the time period of the judges. Because this was not the norm in the time period of the Judges. We got those two stories in the end of Judges that give us a glimpse of what things were like during the time of Judges. And it's not like this. There's people stealing each other's idols, people doing all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And here yet we see an employer with his employees, and he shows up, and he's talking about the Lord, and they're just blessing him. Lord bless you too, man. If you have people that work underneath you, do they want God to bless you? Or when you show up, are they like, God, save me from this guy? Seriously. I remember, I've been in management most of my life. And as a pastor, obviously, that's a lot different. But outside of that, when I was bivocational in the ministry, for many years, I was in management pretty much almost the entire time. I remember one day, I was real frustrated with my staff at the restaurant. And the Lord just said, you know, Will, you know what your problem is? You're a troublemaker, not a peacemaker. I was reading the the Matthew 5, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount and then my devotions. And the Lord's like, you're a troublemaker. You're not a peacemaker. I was like, what do you mean I'm a troublemaker? And he's like, do I need to explain? Go ask your employees. And I realized, I'm like, when I'm around, everybody's stressed out. I'm efficient. I do a good job. I give good results. And my intent is really good, but people are stressed. And the Lord's like, well, you're not a blessing to them. They know you're a pastor. They know you love me, but... You're not a blessing. You're a headache sometimes. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the person that people are crying out to God to rescue them from. (laughs) Rescue me from will. I don't want to be that guy. I want those who see me to bless me. To say, man, I hope God blesses my boss. And worse, if they don't know the Lord, do they blaspheme God because of my conduct? I don't ever want that. I want people to be drawn to the Lord because of the way I lead, because of my conduct. And that's the type of guy Boaz was. His men respected him. They wanted God to bless him. Well, he's checking in. And as he's checking in, he notices Ruth. It says, then Boaz said unto his servant, verse 5, that was set over the reapers, the foreman in charge of his workers, the one that Ruth had to get permission from. And he said, whose damsel is this? Now, the word there, damsel, it means a young woman of marriageable age which would be a very odd sight to see out gleaning. Women who were Ruth's age were either married or engaged, and therefore they were not in need of providing for themselves like this. They either had a family that took care of them or they had a husband who took care of them. So by the fact that she's gleaning out here, he knows she's neither. She doesn't have a family taking care of her and she doesn't have a husband taking care of her. 
His question isn't who is she, but whose is she? What family does she belong to that she's out gleaning like this? Now, to ask the question, what family does she belong to, means he's interested, which means he's single. He's saying, who do I need to talk to? (laughs) Who's a single gal out there? Who do I need to talk to? What family does she belong to? He's interested. Now, again, that's another odd thing in that culture, given his status and his age. He's an elite warrior, and he's wealthy. Now, ladies, I understand that in our current culture, you may be looking for some other things. However, back then, that was what we would call a winner. So it would be very odd to see a man who is into this much of an advanced age being single. So both of them are in these situations, and we don't know fully Boaz's story. We know that Naomi's story was a sad one, why she was single. We don't know why God allowed those things necessarily in the moment, but we can see what God is doing here. Now, I do need to bring up an important point, because if you're single here tonight, you need to understand something. Being single is not an inferior status. Back then, it was considered that way, not because that's the way the Bible teaches it or that's the way the Bible views it. That's just the way the culture viewed it. Being single is not an inferior status. For example, frequently you'll hear people say, well, you know, if you're just faithful now, God's going to deliver you from this awful single state and give you a wonderful spouse, right? Which is like, okay, so like I'll get rid of this disease someday, right? Singleness is not a disease, Nor does, if you're single right now, nor does it imply that something's wrong with you, that you need to like somehow achieve some greater status to not be single anymore. Ruth and Boaz are two of the most godly people in the Bible. They are people of amazing character. And as we'll see, each of them is approaching their impending relationship with each other, not in desperation to solve their single status, but they're approaching it the way that all relationships should be approached through true biblical love. So he says, who is she? I'm interested. Whose family is she from? And so the foreman says, well, boss, I got some bad news for you. He says, it's the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she asked permission to gather the fields. And so I said, yes. And she's out there working all day. In fact, she just sat down for a little bit in the house, but that's it. Now, This speaks both to Ruth's character, that she was a hard worker, but also to their seriousness of their impoverished situation because she couldn't afford just to go out and glean for an hour. They needed all the food she could manage to find. That's how stretched things were. Now, the foreman brings up her Moabite heritage twice. So she's a hard worker, boss, but this isn't the girl you've been hoping to meet. She's a Moabitess. But that information does not dissuade Boaz. As we'll see in a moment, He knows a lot about Ruth, even though he's never met her before. Based on that knowledge, what he does know, he wants to bless her. Look at verse 8. Well, then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And let your eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged young men that they shall not touch you? And when you are athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, for Boaz to speak to any gleaming woman would be a rarity. I mean, you just didn't do that. Most of these ladies were probably embarrassed to be out doing this. It's the equivalent of begging on the street. And so for you to go and approach one and talk to one would be a rarity. Again, women and men just didn't interact like this back in that culture to begin with. But he does so with Ruth either 
because of his friendship with Elimelech, or either because he's still interested in her despite being that she's from Moab. Either way, the result is the same, though. He decides to show genuine kindness to someone who can't give anything back to him, who has offered nothing in return to him. Now, that's an important thing to understand about how these two, how their relationship starts. Most dating relationships, and sadly most marriages, are mutual use agreements. They are mutual use agreements. We decide to let them use us because the benefits of using them are worth the cost. Relationships begin to break down when one or both individuals decide, I don't want you using me anymore, but I still want to use you. That's where fights begin to break out. Biblical love is not like that. Biblical love is based on kindness. It's based on friendship. Turn over to Song of Solomon chapter 5. Verse 16 is the culmination of this chapter. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now, when we read through this book of Song of Solomon... Most people, when they get to this chapter, tend to focus on the seeming description of Solomon by the Shunammite girl. But they forget that chapter 5 starts with her giving him the silent treatment because he got home late. You ever done that, ladies, to your husband? He didn't call, nothing, didn't let you know. And all of a sudden he shows up, you know, and you just give him the silent treatment, right? Well, that's what happens. He shows up late. She's already in bed. That's how late it is. And so he comes home and the door's locked. And so he's like, hey, honey, I'm home. Let me in. I'm I'm so excited to see you. I missed you, whatever. And she's just like, "Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he just begins to pour out all this praise. He begins to apologize a little bit. And she's like, oh, you know, know, I'm already undressed. I'm already in my pajamas. I'm already in bed. It's cold out there. And so finally, after pleading with her and she doesn't respond, he leaves. But all this time... Her heart's breaking inside. She's stubborn because she's hurt because he's home late. And and the text seems to imply something else happened that she was upset about as well. But as he leaves her be, her heart finally breaks over her stubbornness and she goes to the door. Now, the steamy description that we have here is in reply to others asking when she's out looking for him in town at night and can't find him. Others are saying, what's so special about him that we should help you look for him? She gives this amazing description because that's the only way they would know him. The handsome guy, the best looking guy in town. But at the end, how does she know him? This is my beloved. And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. That's what he is to her. Her best friend. Listen. I love it when Bev quotes poetry like this to me. She does it all the time. You know, it makes my heart go pitter-patter. Tells me how handsome I am. But if you want true love, it starts with friendship. You see, friendship is something that's worth fighting for even when you don't like them very much in the moment. Right? And kindness is where a good friendship begins. And that's what Boaz is showing Ruth here. This is how the relationship starts. He shows her kindness. He says, Hearest thou not, my daughter, which means, will you not listen to me? I've got a proposition for you. I want to offer you something, a huge blessing. Will you not listen to me? Will you not hear me out? 
What is it? Well, he says, I don't want you to go and glean in another field. Neither go from hence, it means from these, from my workers, but stay here fast by my maidens. Now, I love this here because Boaz, he's one of the most upstanding members of his community. He's well-known, he's well-respected, and yet he treats this poor woman, this poor single woman who would be one of the lowest places in society you could have. He treats her with dignity and respect. The choice is yours, Ruth, he says. I'm not going to try to bully you. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. But I do believe what I'm going to offer you will help you a ton. He says, Ruth, I don't want you to go and glean another field. It's interesting. The word here for glean here implies that her gleaning would be easier if she came to the same field every day. That it wouldn't be as intense. That if you come here, I'll take care of you. I don't want you to go away from my workers. I want you to abide fast, keep close to my maidens, which would mean she would get the first pick of whatever fell. These maidens would be the unmarried women in his clan who were promised to somebody, and so they would go behind the harvesters to bundle the grain. And so the poor would then go behind those women to pick up whatever they dropped. So if Ruth took Boaz's offer, she would have first pickings of whatever fell, but she would also have companionship while she worked. And then Boaz reassures her that none of his men will get on her case or harm her. In addition to that, when you're thirsty, I want you to go drink from my vessels. Drink of what the young men are drinking. Just go and get what you need. Now that is far beyond what the law required of Boaz. And Ruth knows it. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.